And we are live with our 58th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again. We're back and I put on my old man sweater today because I feel like complaining apparently, or maybe it's just cold outside and I'm getting old. One of the two. Um, but uh, we're happy this week to be joined by David Lintner. Uh, Dave's been a friend of Ken and I's for a long time. Um, and so we're going to have, have a discussion about all the things. Uh, maybe we can mock, you know, Stefan, you know, Logical or something, you know, <laughs> at some point as well. Um, just, just to keep things interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've got a couple of announcements. Ken and I are headed to Tel Aviv for AppSec Global uh, in just a couple of weeks. If you are interested in the secure code review course that we do, please, please, please sign up. Uh, registration was closing soon from what I'm seeing from the AppSec Tel Aviv or the AppSec or the OWASP Tel Aviv group. They're, uh, I think they're closing things up pretty quick. So please sign up. Uh, we'd be happy to have you. It's a great course. We have a lot of fun and we look at a lot of code. Makes your eyes bleed a little bit, but it's okay. It's okay. It's good. Um, and, but other than that, I don't think we've got a lot of announcements uh, outside of, you know, welcome back. Ken, is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Yeah, and I'm pasting the link here now. We are, so we had AppSec, um, sorry, Women in AppSec OWASP committee on last week, and we agreed to do a one hour version of our two day course, uh, really abbreviated version. Um, it's going to be this Saturday, so I put the link in the YouTube live chat as well as the Slack channel. The uh, and if you're not on the Slack and you want to you want to join Slack, um, just go to absoluteabsec.com. There's an invite link. You click on that, register. You can join the uh, join the fun. So um, yeah. So besides the uh, global AppSec Tel Aviv and Saturday's events. Is there anything else I feel like? Um, I can't. Well, we're giving our training again. We got accepted to Melbourne in uh, yeah. at AppSec Day in uh, Melbourne in uh, late October. It's like the last week of October. Uh, I think like October 30th or something like that, 31st. Anyway, so we're going to be doing that as well. So if you miss us in Tel Aviv and you'd like to go to Australia or you're in Australia, that's another place we'll be. Cool. Yep. All right. So that brings us this week to the AppSec Minute. Uh, we're still working our way through the top 10 web hacking, te web hacking techniques of 2018 that Portswigger put out. Um, at this point, it's been you know a few months since that came out. I was in February. Uh, but I think today we're on number three, right, Ken? We are. And number three is, um, it is uh, ESI. It's uh, so edge side include injection. Um, cross so it's cross site scripting using edge side in uh, edge site include injection. Um, so the basic way that a ESI tags. Let's just briefly cover what an ESI ESI tag is. So for um, like reverse proxies, um, load balancers. Some of the the examples they show are like var varnish, squid proxy. Uh, Fastly, F5, uh, of course, <laughs> of course, Oracle Fusion Web Logic is in there. Um, what these essentially do is uh, you 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 cache, right? So 
uh, imagine there's a bunch of content on a web page. Don't it's not dynamic. It doesn't change. So it's easiest if that like reverse proxy or load balancer or whatever just keeps that copy cached. And so when you go to request it, you don't have to put further resources or further strain on your web application by getting that entire page rendered from that web application. Um, those you know kind of man in the middle um, proxy reverse proxies whatever they they'll send you back that uh, static content, but some static content might, uh, sorry, sorry, some content might change. So you might have a mix of static content and some dynamic content. The, the version, the sort of example they show is like, if you have a um, weather, they show like a weather page and, you know, Monday through M Sunday, that doesn't change. Um, the city, maybe it doesn't change, but the, Thing that does change is obviously like the temperature if you want to see it in celsius fahrenheit whatever so what they show is like hey monday through sunday that's static that's being served back from the uh, reverse proxy but um it has these little esi tags which are like xml right it's literally just like xml content and what will happen is reverse proxy will say look i have Monday through Sunday, that's static, great, but I need to fill in the blanks using these ESI tags. So it makes a call to the web application. The web application then just serves back the content for those ESI tags. The content gets mixed with the static content and rendered back to you in your browser. So hopefully that's clear, but uh, the basic gist is that the dynamic content that, that's gonna be replaced, the ESI tags are gonna replace, that comes from the web app. The static stuff is cached at the uh, reverse proxy. So the, they show a few things here. So one one of the things they show is using like SSRF. And if you are if you remember SSRF, server-side request forgery is you getting some system to make a call out to somewhere. And in this case, the reverse proxy makes a call out to, let's say your web server and you identify, hey, um, it's able to call out to me or, or through my content I'm injecting, I'm able to, to get that content to call out to me. So now you can sort of use SSRF and pivot throughout the network. And the way this works is like, let's say you've got a static template and you do, you know, it takes, it says, hey, I'm gonna load in some CSS file or I'm gonna load in an image or I'm gonna load in JS and I'm gonna do an include, um, and shove that into my static template. It's gonna be based off ESI tags. And let's say uh, the, the response, you're able to manipulate the response coming back from the application. So you essentially say like, hey, for this ESI tag, I want you to call out to evil.com. And when that ESI tag gets echoed back by the application server and included, again, the static content includes that, 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 that source now you've gotten the the reverse proxy to basically make a call out to the network externally internally whatever that's the first part the second part is just straight up cross-site scripting so um normally from a context perspective applications have the ability to say like greater than less than sign. you have to have the greater than less than signs not encoded they have to be just straight up greater than less than so an application might say like, oh, contextually, I know this is HTML content, so I'm gonna escape those values, right? All HTML escape greater than, less than. However, one thing they pointed out was that with some applications, not in a huge percentage, but in some JSON content, well, 
with applications, the way they handle JSON is like, it doesn't matter. Like if it's JSON response, they're just gonna do like a greater than less than. Contextually, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't be rendered as HTML. In Except for in the case that you're able to inject into ESI tags um, values that get echoed back in JSON and interpreted as a replacement for that static HTML content. Then, then it matters, right? That JSON content, like it's gonna come back. It's not gonna be escaped, those greater than, less than, and it's gonna be included in that static template. And then that's your XSS. So that's the second vector using JSON and uh, CSV, as a matter of fact, as well. And the third piece was, I'm having to go back here. The third piece was, um, so browsers, typically the way they work when they do prevent XSS, so like Chrome or Safari or whatever, they 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 take the request. If they see it echoed back straight for like if it's just straight echoed back in the response from the application, then they say, okay, well, there's probably some security mechanisms we need to employ here and not allow this JavaScript to fire. But again, when your request goes forward and it you know you break it up so that the little like script alert whatever is actually broken up into several pieces. It's then echoed back to the reverse proxy. Reverse proxy does an interpretation of putting together these ESI tags. And then it all kind of comes together and comes back in the response. Chrome didn't detect it um, while well, they mentioned Chrome. So they were sort of bypassing the built-in browser client side XSS filters. And that's the third piece to ESI and, and uh, <clears throat> using XSS. So that's the whole thing. Hopefully that cool. was somewhat succinct. No, no. It, that I mean, that was useful to actually talk through. I, I mean, I know ESI has been around for a long time. That was one of those, like, the edge side includes stuff is, I mean, yeah. 2001. Yeah, yeah. It's So so it's not a new technology. So, again, it, and I think the the blog, blog post from Portswigger was talking about it, how a lot of the techniques are kind of like these old technologies that we keep exploiting for new purposes, right? Um, and... Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, it's completely valid. You, if you read the paper, it's um, it's pretty interesting. I, you know, they, they also use those same techniques, the last one that you were talking about to actually, you know, bypass the HTTP only cookie settings because you can send those cookie values off because it's not viewed as JavaScript, apparently. Um, the ESI tags and you're actually built into the, the caching instead of the browser. And so it'll bypass those cookies and still send the values along and all sorts of cool stuff. So, so there's a lot there to exploit. If you're doing web applications and you're running into one of those caches, it's probably something that you should brush up on at least a little bit. Cool. All right. So that was AppSec Minute for the day. Um, and we'll jump right into David Lindner. Dave, yeah. say hi. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, I can confirm that Seth is snarky today. So let's just, uh, <laughs> just go from there. <laughs> I'll, I'll introduce David. David Lindner is the director of AppSec at Contrast Security. And he's going to tell us a little bit about what Contrast Security does. Because one of the things that we've talked about but not gotten into deep on the podcast and we said we did want to get into was exactly how a RASP works and what it is. And, and so we're going to get that opportunity today. That is not necessarily his job at contrast, but definitely, like I said, he works there. So he's going to be able to give us some info on that. So David Linder, uh, before that, he basically was VP of CERT professional services, uh, ran all of professional services, um, he has been a principal senior, you know, worked his way up through consulting, 
um, was that aspect at one point. Uh, David, Seth, and I all worked together, um, which was great. It was awesome. Um, basically, Seth and I worked on the tech side and uh, or on the tech side, uh, development side, and uh, David Linder worked on the professional services side. Um, he's done a lot of mobile and IoT security, so that's actually the first time I met uh, David Linder in person was at LastCon when he was giving a talk on, I believe it was like Fitbit hacking or like wearable technology IoT yeah, I think, stuff. I, th I think it was I think it was wearable stuff, yeah. That that sounds about right. Which was really and that was before they put out the whole I think that was before the whole like scandal where uh, we you know they started talking about how military installations they could track, you know, the people that were there based off their GPS. So I think you were talking about that before that was actually a big before big articles and you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they actually started, you know, it's funny because it, I've been talking about that for years and then they started coming out and, and they were using, you know, Fitbit geolocation data to help solve murders and such, right? Like it started to get pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, you, I mean, you were on the forefront. I remember that because you were on the forefront of that before all that stuff came out. It was like pretty interesting to see your talk and then and not that long after that stuff sort of kind of come to, to, to light. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, my, my, uh, my AppSec story is, is, is quite crazy. Uh, it, it started back in like 2003 ish, uh, when I started a master's program at Iowa state, um, you know, AppSec then was not real known. Uh, but I, I knew I kind of wanted to get into that. And you guys both know John Paskey, right? Like he, he's kind of the one who started me down the path. Uh, the company I was at then hired John to come in and help run uh, what was at the time Spy Dynamics Web Inspect. <laughs> um, and that really just started my interest in, in AppSec and what that meant. Um, and that was actually what I wrote my final master's project on on securing web apps so um it started way back then um and it's funny right like in 2005 ish i think it was uh when appsec was like the second appsec uh usa and it probably wasn't even called that back then uh, i think it was in dc maybe um but i took a a, a class on securing web apps from jeff williams <laughs> who oh, i weird. ended up going to work right who i ended up going to work for like three years later at aspect uh in 2008 so um, you know, the, the story kind of comes full circle, right? Cause now I'm back working at contrast who was co-founded by Jeff Williams. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a long career, uh, mobile started, um, funny enough on Blackberry, <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, we had a client, they're like, Hey, do you guys do mobile stuff? I'm like, no, nah, but we can, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and then a snowstorm hit, you know, I was on site. So we actually, uh, myself and uh, Michael Coates, um, you know, he's he's pretty well known in the industry. Uh, we're stuck in a hotel hacking on BlackBerry because we couldn't leave the hotel because of all the snow. So that was kind of where my love for for mobile started, and that was oh geez, two thousand nine ish maybe. Yeah, so, you're part of kind of like the original because Jeff Williams, you know, for those, I mean, I think a lot of people know, but you know, he kind of kicked off uh, uh, OWASP really, you know, help help propel it forward. And yep. um, 2003, yep. that's that's before I, definitely before I got started. Were you even born, Ken? Yeah, Was I, I born? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, actually, well, I won't go into it, but I've got some funny stories recently from some folks that I work with that, you know, made me feel old, uh, even though I'm young compared to the two of you. So by a few years. Yeah. But yeah, 2003, um, you took the, so 2003, you wrote your, uh, you, <clears throat> so you, you, you worked on uh, application security um, 2003 as part of your degree program. Then you moved on to work uh, being trained by Jeff Williams, which then you ended up well. And it's funny because, you know, it was like BlackBerry was there for a bit. It was in the space, went away. And now BlackBerry's back and BlackBerry. Nowadays, I'm starting to associate more with security. And like they, they, for instance, are a big sponsor of Locomocosec where you and I, David, were just at and not Seth and not Seth at all. Seth, where were you? Seth definitely was not there. Seth was 100% not there. <laughs> I wasn't? I'm no. confused because that's all I heard about for two weeks. No, no I mean, it, 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 it is kind of funny, right? Like, so, you know, if you ask me, I think BlackBerry has always had the most secure OS uh, for the mobile platform. Um, they just kind of had missed the boat um, when Apple uh, released uh, Apple OS or whatever the hell they called it to begin with uh, before it was iOS. Yeah. Um, but with their QNX, it is insane how many systems and IoT devices and whatever Coke machines are running that OS, if you will. Right? I mean, it's what language all is that written? Oh my God, I'm not even sure, Seth. I don't know if you know. Right, where, where's Stefan? Right? Yeah. <laughs> where, where's logical? <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's probably it's probably written in something crazy. No, I'm I'm guessing it's it's C or something like that or I, yeah. I probably. thought I thought it was C and assembly, right? Like I think they went yeah. down even lower than C. I mean, for it's it's a it's, a, it's it. a real lightweight. You know, it's almost kind of like a um, uh, what's the other IoT system OS that people use quite a bit. But yeah, it's very lightweight. Um, when it comes to, to OSs, but it's it's used like everywhere now. Yeah, so they had a huge presence at Local Moco, which Seth was not at. <laughs> which Seth was not, was not suck at. It. I'm booking my tickets as soon as it's <laughs> open again for next year. <laughs> <laughs> Eventbrite is already up, so there you go, buddy. I was right, the whole time, I was crying into my pina coladas. Just like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bet you were. <laughs> <laughs> all while the birds were eating there was hanging out by the pool with David Linder and others. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't make me mute both of you and just rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had one thing I wanted to get into as you know. Well, well I, I wanted actually, to ask because yeah, I, yeah. I assume. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Before you jump into it, I was just gonna. You know, I, I think Dave, like the first time that we actually met face to face outside of just talking you know, as we were working at the same place was the, like we were doing a mobile assessment, right? That was the Chicago one. Um, that was the Chicago one. I still that was the Chicago that one. one. Yeah. And that one was, uh, that was super interesting. I, I remember digging into that code, right? Like the, the guys took that interesting approach of, Hey, we're going to bag this whole idea of, uh, you know, Java and, you know, Swift or whatever for iOS and Android. And they went straight to C plus plus and developed a whole bunch of libraries. And then there's a small wrapper around it. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to get some of the cool war stories, like, uh, you know, one or two cool stories because like for mobile and IOT, especially the I IOT where you've got, cause I know you did, I know you've done work with everything from like, 
water pumps and utility companies, I, I believe, and like robots and stuff like, I mean, like, could you share some of the more interesting, one or two interesting stories or however many, many you feel like sharing of some interesting IOT things you've, you've worked on and the, the, the stuff you've seen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard, right? You know, some of that was fairly recent, but, uh, you know, mobile's come a long way. I mean, uh, I, I think from a mobile perspective, um, I miss the days of being able to open the Safari browser on iOS and browsing to a link and then you have root access to the device. Um, it's just not the case anymore. You know, you know, for more stories, I mean, I've been around long enough. I've seen everything, you know, from, from being able to steal money to, um, you know, creating backdoors through, uh, you know, there was a crazy one. It was like a backdoor through um, a Wi-Fi access point that was exposed in an IoT device, uh, and it was using system commands to to set um, the access point name and, and and SSID, and I think it was like the password and stuff, and and we were able to to overload that and basically create a backdoor. I mean, that one was pretty cool. Uh, you know, and, and the client was really happy about that and they were able to fix that pretty quickly. Um, you know, that one was, was some, I mean, they didn't have the code, right? I mean, it was like, oh, it was an exposed access point. So you're just trying things and fuzzing at that point. Oh, well, I wonder if this is just running the normal system command. Well, sure enough, it was. So that one was pretty cool. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been involved. I mean, I've done a lot on my own too, you know, like from security cameras, I've looked at a lot of them. Uh, you know, I have a lot of them in my house. Um, you know, I don't want to give Google a plug, but Nest is pretty damn solid when it comes to, to, to security. I mean, they've done a lot of work. I mean, even when it was drop cam, it was pretty awesome. Um, you know, other than the ability to expose things publicly that people could do without really knowing it, but they've, they've kind of fixed some of that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've been around the block, you know, I was, I was part of kind of the original OS top 10 for mobile crew. Uh, God, that was what, 2012? I think that was about it. Yeah. Um, I just, I just wish, wish Apple and, and even Google would allow testers and researchers more ability to do what they need to do, right? Like Apple locks devices down and then we get in this weird like year or two long stint where tools come in, they fall out, like uh, you may have a jailbreak or a root uh, ability, or you may not. Um, and it's it's more work trying to keep up with that than it is to actually do the testing. Because frankly, the testing piece is the easy piece, right? Like, like once you have the environment and the access that you need to do the testing, that's the easy piece. Uh, it's getting well, to that point. Yeah, and that's I, I mean that's a that, that's a very timely like observation right now with the new Chimera jailbreak that came out right like I I mean I know me as somebody that does you know mobile testing and I'm sure your team as well we're just all over that because it's like all right great I can now update my tool set I can update update my devices at least to you know version twelve of iOS and I'm going to have a stable platform moving forward right uh, that that's always my fear with the mobile stuff is I get uh, you know you know, my most stable device is the one that's on, you know, still on iOS 9 or iOS 10. And I, I won't touch it, but these later applications that developers are releasing are all targeting, you know, 11 or 12 and you get stuck, 
right? Without that tool set. I mean, I completely agree. It's the same thing that, you know, uh, I mean, Kevin Cody as well, who's been on the the podcast, like we've, we've had this discussion multiple times is that's the big fear, right? At least with Android, we can get like debug versions. Um, it's still not great, but you know, if I buy directly from Google, I can get a, you know, developer phone basically that, ha- that gives me root access. It's fairly easy to unlock. I can get it all the internals. Um, and, you know, the tool set may update a little bit, but it's the same tool set I'm using. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you're using on the iOS side, but I feel like I'm constantly flipping between, well, somebody wrote this Python little app, but it only works with iOS 11 because they never got, you know, they didn't have Chimera or whatever to actually like update it to. And so I end up doing so much manually because I just don't trust that the tools are ever going to be updated, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, like passion fruit is a, is a favorite just to be able to kind of see the the overall architecture of, of the app and, you know, some, some yeah. real quick gotchas right um but most of the time it's it's using frida um you know code share is great uh with a bunch of really quick scripts that nine times out of ten work <laughs> you know to to look at things that i want to look at um but uh, but you but you're not wrong like it seems like those tools change like every jailbreak comes out it's like oh shit the, the previous tool doesn't work so now what's next right like I don't know how some folks keep up on it as far as like the, the community that is actually creating the tool sets. Right. Um, you know, I, I miss Snoopit. Like if anyone wants to find, uh, what is it, Stefan or, or whoever wrote Snoopit and make it work in 64 bit would be amazing. Like that was, yeah. that was by far the best tool ever created for mobile testing. It was amazing. Uh, but it stopped working, uh, years and years ago. <laughs> so, Kenny's Kenny sitting there like, what the fuck are you guys talking just about? Talking about I know. Yeah, we, we like just... to exclude him because he he wasn't because I because I wasn't at Locomoco Sec. So we're gonna talk about stuff that he can't. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I was actually just uh I'm Googling and putting some uh <clears throat> some uh links into the to the chat. So but yeah, yeah, I don't I'm for those who don't know, um I stopped doing mobile stuff in like 2013, so I'm pretty out of the loop. They're right. Yeah. Snoop it was, yeah, I think the last version was iOS 7. God dang. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, even, it's, it's it's on the Google code archive at this point. It's not even on yeah. GitHub. Oh, yeah, that makes me sad. But yeah. Yep. I don't know. I like, I, I don't know how to solve it without Apple's involvement. And it just doesn't seem like they're very interested. Um, you know, I, I mean, one of the, those first talks that I gave, you know, when I was doing, uh, what you know, Dang, right? Like the iOS security analyzer stuff that you know we were you know putting together. That, I mean, I remember the uh, people coming up and Apple was giving a talk at Black Hat as well about how they were going to start engaging the security community. But basically, it was, hey, these are the security features we build into iOS and or into the kernel, and that was about it, right? That's yeah. they just don't seem willing to, you know, they're just not interested. I guess is what it boils down to. So yeah. Yeah, and and you know, I, I spend a lot. So so at contrast, I don't really do anything with mobile. Like contrast doesn't touch mobile. Uh, there's no real plans to touch mobile. Uh, so the mobile that I get involved with now is all bug bounty stuff, right? Um, just to keep my brain sane because I still love it, right? Um, but it drives me crazy uh, because nine out of ten, it feels like bug bounties. Like you can't have a rooted device or you can't use a rooted device or, or here, here's the app. We're not even going to give you login credits. Like what's the point guys? <laughs> like, like, 
you know, if you really want to understand your security posture, let's open it up a little bit more. I guess that's my my message to those of you running bug bounties on, on mobile apps. Yeah. And I, like, to be fair, on some of the, the invite ones or the, you know, the private bug bounties that I've seen, they do put more stock into that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. They do. But, you know, again, it's, you know, it, it depends on the company that's proposing that and pushing it forward. Um, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I do see kind of a huge gap on that mobile side. I also don't see as many testers on the mobile side. I know most of the bug bounty places complain about, hey, guess what? We just don't have a lot of people that'll do the mobile side of things. And I'm like, yeah, it's because they, they, you know, they can't get paid 25 grand for XSS on mobile, right? I, like the way that you valued things is that, hey, your web application is, that's the high value target. Um, we know that XSS or some of those other things, like what was it? Google just came out and said they spend 75% of their bug bounty funding on XSS, right? Whatever, what that was at Locomocosec, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, but like we, we don't hear that on the mobile side, right? Like I, I don't think we're pushing those resources. We're not pushing that testing quite as much. Um, and it does require more time in the applications, right? To understand, hey, this is how it's interacting with the backend. I have to understand what that flow looks like, what those APIs do, how it's constructed. I can't just go and run Burp Suite and get a good like idea of what the application is. I have to actually instrument it. Um, so so the, the, the time to benefit right, or time to payout is a lot higher, right? I, I mean, at least that that's how I see it when I'm looking at the mobile stuff. Um, well, right, and, and, you know, it gets back to, you know, do you have the tools and the, the devices that you can use to do the testing, right? Like, not everyone's going to be patient for two years uh, to be, and, and have six different devices at six different version levels to be able to keep up to date with current jailbreaks and, and, and tooling, right? Like, um, you know, that's probably part of the issue as well. But, um, you know, speaking of bug bounties, like, you know, so so at contrast, we're doing one right now. And it's an interesting one. Um, and I'm learning a lot about running a bug bounty. Um, so our RASP product, which is, you know, runtime uh, application self-protection, it's it's like, you know, the next major thing in, in the AppSec world, um, you know, trying to, 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 it's basically a smart WAF and, and better, right? Because um, it's instrumenting code and it's, living in the application and it's watching data flow and, and determining if things are attacks or not um, and, and knows if it's going to succeed or not based on where it's sync is, right? Um, but anyway, so we're running a bug bounty on our RASP product uh, for researchers to find bypasses, right? Like, you know, and, and it allows us to do some, some testing of new rule sets and rule packs and be very focused on things like that. But what we're running into is it's really hard to entice people uh, to test against, because we're like, for this one, we're just using WebGoat, right? Like, hey, it's really easy, right? You know where the bone is. We just want you to see if you can bypass the protections, right? Uh, but, you know, payout, I think, is a big deal. Um, but, you know, when they first see it, it's like, oh, well, they're only paying $100. Well, it's $100 per bypass, right? Like, you know, you might, quickly be able to do that if you're good. I mean, there's some people that are submitting some pretty awesome stuff, right? Um, you know, you can tell they've spent a lot of time bypassing this sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, like you said, they may, researchers may look at it and like, oh, well, if I can go over here to this one and find XSS and make a thousand dollars, I'm going to go do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I, 
I'm like this with with crowdsourcing. It's it's good. It's great. I think we've gotten good results. Um, I just wish more people would spend time. Like, hey, it's a security product. Let's destroy it, right? Like, like that's what I want. Like, come destroy it because uh, I, I want to make it better. I want to make it the best that we can. Uh, you know, because this is a hard problem, uh, and it's not something that that is going to be solved overnight. I mean, how how long has AppSec been a problem? Right, twenty plus years. You know, when was the first big SQL injection? Right. Um, or, or look at the the MySpace Sammy attack. When, yeah, was yeah. Like early early two thousands, right? Um, you know, and you know we've gotten better, uh, but we've also gotten more complex uh, when it comes to to systems and architectures and, and all that good stuff. So, when, and speaking of, like, could you talk a little bit about? Because we're gonna, you know, obviously we want to talk about your role as the director of AppSec at Contrast. But before we get into that. I would love to hear because we've just not had anybody representing a RASP um, who who could walk us through what the product does, how it works, really. Um, and then, yeah, and then I'd like to get into sort of like your role, um, talk more about building the program, bug bounty, stuff like that. I know Seth and I are yeah. to get into that. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, for those of you who have been around in, in the game for a while, um, you know, WAF, the web application firewalls were introduced you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was, um, you know, WAFs are kind of an endpoint solution. Uh, it's it's at, at the forefront of your your infrastructure. Um, it blocks things that it thinks is an attack, right? It, it's all based on signatures. It's kind of like a, a virus protection on your machine, right? There's a signature. If it sees something that it doesn't like, it'll block it uh, or flag it, right? It knows nothing about really where it's going uh, other than maybe some rules that someone set up. Um, so the the tendency is uh, for a WAF is there's going to be a lot of false positives um, and a lot of them, right? Um, and, and, it, and it's frustrating because a lot of times WAFs block valid traffic, right? Um, especially in, in cases where there's keywords, uh, you know, maybe there's a, a script keyword and that's all it's looking for. Uh, yeah, you can imagine how many inputs could include the word script um, that isn't an attack. Right, uh, so that's traditionally been the issue with WAFs. But the 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 other thing is, is the WAFs are typically managed by like a SOC, right? It has nothing to do with the application team, development, engineering, any of that, right? So a few years ago, RASP was kind of come up with, uh, which is runtime application self protection. Um, it was like the 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 sister of IAS, which is you know the ability to instrument code and follow data flow from source to sync, right? Uh, RASP is doing the same thing. So it's running in your application, it's instrumenting code, which for those of you that don't know what that is or or how that's traditionally been used is that's that's usually how people do debugging, right? It, it, it attaches to your code and it can help you follow the flow through your code, right? Well, this whole ability to do that allows us to see what's coming in, evaluate what's coming in, and then if it's deemed dangerous, you know, we can make decisions along the line, right? Like, um, you know, whether or not that, you know, we can, we can look at something like, uh, say a header, right? Like uh, if a content type header comes in uh, or a content length header comes in, it's like a negative value. We know for sure that that's not valid, right? Like we can just drop things at that point. Uh, or if you have like a command injection attack, like someone's trying to run bash from uh, an accept header, right? Like things like that, we can be waffish 
right? And we can drop them early on. We know they're, they're actual people doing stupid things they shouldn't do. Um, but then it gets interesting, right? Because, you know, so SQL injection is probably one of the most difficult ones because there's different SQL interpreters and parsers and whatever else. Um, but what we'll, what the product will do is it will see what's coming in and we can make decisions based on rules, um, similar to a, a WAF, right? Um, and we can look at things, you know, we can, we can contextualize and, and do like a semantic analysis of that SQL query. Uh, and then we can determine if the user input breaks over a boundary, right? Like, like this user input is expected to be a string. Well, what really came as a string and then they added or one equals one or whatever it is, right? Um, so we can flag that as a valid attack. And the great thing about RASP is I'm inside the app. So I can flag it as attack. I can block it, right? Or I can real-time patch it depending on what type of attack it is. Um, or, or how you want to treat that. Um, and then it notifies the developers and they can see exactly where that issue is. Unlike a laugh that says, hey, we blocked this attack. We don't even know if it's going to succeed or not, but we blocked it, right? It doesn't tell you anything about if it really would succeed or where it would succeed or how to fix it, right? Um, it doesn't give you any of that context, which is really important. You know, like I don't want to just block everything that comes in that says, or one equals one, right? Like if that doesn't end up in a SQL query, it probably doesn't matter, right? I mean, we might wanna mark it as uh, what we consider worth watching just to see if it's someone fuzzing, but if it doesn't end up in a sync that's vulnerable or gonna run SQL, it's probably not something that we would flag, right? So it's a, it's a whole different way of thinking about it and you know, running in that live app, which, you know, things like the recent uh, web logic remote code execution thing was like a, a deserialization issue, which Java has a lot of, uh, for those of you that haven't been following along, right? Like struts, uh, hello, big problems, right? Well, protect uh, the RASP product blocked it, right? Like without you having to do anything, just based on looking at the bad gadgets, right? Um, and understanding that, you know, the, these sorts of gadgets, people can run malicious code. Um, so it's, it's things like that. Like, I, I'm going to I'm going to be honest. I was a skeptic uh, when, when I first started. I was a major skeptic. Like, oh, that's, you know, I've done manual testing forever. Well, now I look and I'm like, well, God, if we can just like knock out voting classes and then focus on the hard stuff, how awesome would that be? Right. Right. I mean, we have a cybersecurity shortage. It is real. Right? Like that is no joke. Um, this is a hard problem, you know, to be able to to provide this context to a developer and show them exactly where the issue is without even getting involved, that's priceless to me, right? Yeah. I mean, I have two questions. When you so so the first question is you you know, you mentioned it showing the developer where the problem lies is it like an exception sort of stack trace where it shows you know here's where where it, at each point and you know where in the file and lines that this code that is vulner vulnerable or being attacked is executing at that's i guess the first question yeah yeah so uh two two answers uh, so so we have two products we have assess uh which is um an instrumentation framework for you know a language, and we we support five. It's Java, .NET, Ruby, uh, Python, and Node today. Um, 
And assess is meant to find issues based on data flow from source to sync without doing security testing, right? So it instruments your whole app and it, it has rules to know like what's coming in, if there's any um, validators along the way and then vulnerable syncs, right? So if it comes in and we know that it hits a vulnerable sync without touching a validator, that's an XSS issue or that's a SQL injection issue, right? And and for that one, it's really cool because it not only shows the request, uh, it shows any stack traces that may be thrown, but it shows uh, the different classes it goes through from, from source to sync. Uh, and it shows, and, and then that allows the developer to be like, oh, it's gone through these 10 classes, these 12 methods, and then it ends up here. And then they can de decide along the way, are any of those validators, right? If they are, they can mark them as validators. If there's no validator, then they know, hey, between here and here, we need to do some validation or, or whatever it might be. So that's assess. On protect, it's, it's different um, because we don't have to do full data flow, right? So that one, what we provide is we provide the, the vulnerable requests. And th these are actual attacks, right? Like, so we're not, we're not instrumenting the app to, to find the, the vulnerable sources and sinks, right? Like we would in assess but we're, we still know about them, but are looking for actual attack data, right? Like, so- Is this the real-time patching? Yeah, so we do some of that, right? Like for XXE, right? We'll, we'll shut off the ability to, um, you know, include vulnerable DTDs and, and whatever else, right? Like when we turn it on block mode, um, but, but yeah, so it doesn't do that for all vulnerable classes. There's just a couple that we actually make changes for it um but like for instance there's multiple settings you can just monitor right and, and it'll show up in our in our ui like hey this attack succeeded um, that's probably bad right <laughs> we'd rather you have it in block mode uh with block mode it just returns a 403 if, if something happens and then it'll show up like here's the request here's the stack trace of where it went from source to sync or where we determined along the way that this is a vulnerable or an, an exploit right um, so it's it's pretty powerful uh, for for our clients that use it. Um, you know, the the one issue that we've run into is like who who manages it because you know it's not a WAF. Uh, it's probably not best managed by a SOC, right? Uh, because the data that's there is something that's going to need to be addressed by engineering, right, and development. Um, and there may be cases with Protect where a security person would have to get involved to make sure that it's a valid issue. I mean, because we still have false positives, right? Um, right, of course, nothing's the, perfect. The, you're right, it's the nature of the beast. Heck, we have false negatives, and you know, I'd be the first to say it. I mean, well, and it's, my, it's you know, yeah, it's why we, you know, you always, whenever we talk about these products, whether it be a RASP, a WAF, a um, tool to embed. Uh, you know, to do source code analysis in the IDE for developers, whatever it is, it still requires that in bug bounty programs, it still requires that you have the people to help tune and have that like that knowledge. So it's never, it's never like you buy these things and then like you've replaced people. It's more like it's in, it's um, you're, you're augmenting the tools that the people you hired have at their disposal to help do this stuff at scale, which I think is like a big distinction that people you know, need, need to understand in, in uh, purchasing positions. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I think yeah. the, the hardest part for me has been 
you know, Protect is the quote unquote easier one to get to market. Like it's because you don't have to create a full instrumentation that, uh, framework, if you will. Uh, but it's the hardest one to prove to a client um, because this is how it works. You go into a client, they want to do a proof of concept and they want to do it on an intentionally vulnerable app. Well, those intentionally vulnerable apps are written so poorly or do things that are so incredibly stupid. Um, it's like an edge case almost, right? Like, so for instance, like for command injection, you go to one and it's like, oh, it just gives you an input box to run any command you want. Like that just doesn't <laughs> happen in the real world, right? Like it just, it, do, it doesn't happen. Uh, you it, say that. Yeah, <laughs> you say that, but we each have an instance where we've seen well, it. Yeah. yeah. Right, but that might be on purpose. Right? Yeah, it was a feature. I, it was a feature, exactly. Right, yeah. I mean, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, so we're creating this product to protect these intentionally vulnerable apps, which is fine. Um, but what's it really like in the real world apps, right? The ones that aren't as bad, <laughs> they're still bad, right? But they're not as like intentionally vulnerable, if you will. For sure. Yeah. Like, and, uh, well, I mean, anybody that's had to write a vulnerable app to do give training or anything like that knows how like edge Casey it gets. And it's usually based off of like anecdotal, a mixture of, the OWASP top 10 and like popular vulnerabilities as well as like just anecdotal stuff that you've come across. So like it yeah. ends up being, yeah, pretty contrived or yeah, like you said, kind of silly. So, well, now that we, and by the way, you answered the second question because I was going to ask about the protect and patching and stuff like that. So the, uh, now that we know what the, the RASP, de, now we know what a RASP is or the audience, people listening know what a uh, RASP is. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what, how, you know, how your role fits in as a director of application security for contrast, what your, what your responsibilities look, look like, um, and, uh, you know, how you're approaching building out program. I know that's a lot, but like, you know, whatever we yeah, get I mean, to, it's, we get it's, to. It's, it's interesting, right? So, you know, we were talking before the show how it's, it's a whole different world for me. I mean, I was in consulting with Aspect and the museum for, you know, like 15 years, <laughs> if you will, uh, and IBM before that. Uh, so being uh, what I would consider internal now is, is a big change. Um, and it's even more different because I'm working for a software security company, right? So, so my role is, is interesting. It's, it's got multiple facets. Uh, the first, is my team or our team is is really involved in how our products work, our rule definitions, our testing of our rules, uh, running bug bounties to to make our rules stronger, uh, and and basically product stuff, right? Like focusing on the product and how well it does, and and triaging issues and whatever else. So that's kind of one facet. The other facet is our own internal appsec, right? Like. Um, you know, you come to a software security company who is full of people that I've worked with in the past. Um, and then you quickly realize that it's no different than any other software company, right? Like developers are coming out of college. They're still not trained. They don't, they don't really get AppSec. Um, so it's really imperative for us to make sure that we have a program around how we're doing AppSec internally because they can apply it directly to their jobs of writing code 
to protect other software, if that makes sense, right? So, so oh, yeah, you're piece. protecting your software, you're having them protect their software, they're writing plus write software to protect other people's software. So, yeah, and it only helps them understand why why this rule is applied or why they're writing the code this way to help prevent SQL injection or command injection or whatever it is, right? Like if they don't understand what it is, they don't understand what XSS is, it's gonna probably be pretty hard to protect against it, if, if that makes sense, right? Uh, so, and, and we're going through growing pains. I mean, we're, we're insane uh, in, in how fast we're growing. I think to start the year at like 120 employees and the it's targeted to be like 280 by the end of the year or something like that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's crazy. It's growing fast. Uh, just open a, a um, office in Belfast. So I'm hoping to make my way to Ireland at some point. Oh, um, poor you having to make that <laughs> trip. Oh man, I feel yeah. so bad for you. I mean, you know, maybe I should invite Seth on this trip, you know, since Ken liked to go to local wow, market wow, with me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, uh, Dave. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's a couple of the facets, but I'm also involved in, in uh, our IT security, if you will. Uh, you know, like we're a startup still. Uh, so, you know, that's just kind of part of what we do uh, in compliance, right? Uh, filling out RFX type questionnaires and whatever else about our systems and, and whatever else. So um, that fills my days uh, along with a lot of other things. I'm, I'm building my team. Uh, got a couple new hires that started a um, couple potential more coming on. So, um, you know, I was brought in, we had a guy <laughs> that was trying to do all of that. Right. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't feasible with the, the speed at which, product is growing and company is growing, right? To, to really do all of that stuff. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that seems to be the typical problem. I mean, you talk about the, the lack of talent that's out there or the lack of people that are actually in the industry doing this sort of work. And I, you know, I, I know we all get hit up, you know, if not, you know, weekly, if daily on LinkedIn, on, you know, different jobs that are available and, everybody seems to be looking for AppSec people because it's I, like, there's just not enough of them out there for for all the products that are being released, especially in the startup, in the startup environment. Right. Um, it kind of seems to slip from time to time. At least you guys are, you know, focused on software security. So you're probably going to try and do a better job internally because you've got to dog food your own, your, your oh, own yeah. process. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, our, our, you know, one of our sales tactics is uh, we, we run contrast on contrast, right? Like our product is running on our product. Um, you know, because you're right, we have to eat our own dog food. There's there's no other way around it, and I wouldn't want it to be any different, right? Like, I'm not I'm not in here running other products on my product that wouldn't make any sense, you know, like for the things we know it's good at. I mean, there's things that it's not good at, you know, like uh, authorization. It doesn't touch it, right? It never will. Um, you know, it's it, there there are there are hard problems. You know, uh, the different sorts of microservices and and serverless infrastructures, like integrations, things like that, that, you know, the really hard problems, you know, and, you know, we can probably talk about the secure 360 talk because I, I, I get into some of that as well. Um, but, you know, those are the, the case, the edge cases where I don't think tooling is ever going to help at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I loved from your, your talk, the, the, like, and we talked, Seth, we, we, we actually brought this up on one of our, I think it was part of the post Locomoco recap, episode yeah. 
but that he, you know, Dave, I'm looking at the the slides. Dave, David Linner had had like these lists of six things um, for AppSec in a modern world. Um, and you talk about like, so evolve tools to secure modern software, enable, enable developer self-sufficiency, automate open source risk management, accelerate digital transformation, protect legacy portfolio, portfolio which that's protecting the legacy portfolios definitely I think holds true for most companies, optimize penetration testing and ensure continuous visibility. All of those are really awesome. And I loved one of your slides that I took a screenshot of where you talk about the root of if, if AppSec sort of not keeping up, the, the root issue is, you know, like with DevOps and, and AppSec is DevOps speed is held back by a 15 year old scan and perimeter based software security model built for the pre-cloud era. I think that summarizes the friction between security, software security and DevOps pretty well. I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add to that. Um, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and it's, it's one of those things, right? Like, so, you know, we talked about how, you know, in the early 2000s when AppSec first kind of started up, you know, we were still very waterfall-y in, in how we did our development. It was slow. It was... Uh, you know, we, we released twice a year, you know, we had build parties, uh, that lasted overnight and you brought your employees beer cause you felt bad that they had to sit there and watch the build do nothing. Right. Like, like it was crazy, but, but AppSec in a manual way and the way we did things worked well then because they could wait two weeks in their six month cycle and it didn't really affect them. Um, today that doesn't work. I mean, Contrast is very DevSecOps. We are fast. We do builds all the damn time. Um, we could deploy, and frankly, I do deploy. All of our builds go into our bug bounty environment, right? Like, I want our latest and greatest out there. Uh, so we have builds that run almost daily, if not more. Um, and there's no way that we can go back and be like, all right, Ken, stop developing. I'm going to have Seth come in and assess this app for two, for two weeks, weeks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then he's going to wait two more weeks to give us a report. And then you can spend the next month fixing those things. So now I've asked my dev team to hang out for like two months and it just doesn't work anymore. Right. It, it just doesn't. Um, so what we went to from there is like, Oh, well let's use some SAST and DAS tools and, and push some buttons and you'll get really good results. And turned out that that wasn't the case, right? There was way too many false positives. So what happened is people ran these tools. They didn't know what the results really were. So then they threw them in some directory somewhere and just ignored them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they were okay with that because they could still say, hey, we're doing security testing because we're running these tools. Uh, they weren't doing any security fixing. So their, their security debt just went Woo! <laughs> you know, up like crazy. Um, but at the same time, they're still doing more development. Uh, and creating more potential issues that they don't maybe know about, right? Um, so security and development have always been like this, right? You know, uh, you must fix, you must do. Uh, well, I have to do these other things, right? And I'm really seeing that now, you know, being on the inside, if you will, uh, because it's 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 always a development, product, and security thing, right? You know, thankfully, we work very well together. We have a centralized tracking, you know, JIRA um, that everyone has access to. 
um, you know, and, and we, we talk about how and when things should be fixed. Um, and, and we're realistic about it. It's not, it's not the, let's throw the hammer down. All security things must be done right now, right? Like we used to do, right? Um, that's not reality. And, and it I, can't be reality. I feel like it's a good segue. And I did, this is a good segue into your Keto AppSec talk for Secure, Secure 360. You did hear that right, Keto AppSec. I put the link in. And, you know, to give a sort of an intro to your talk, I, I'd say that when Seth and I worked with you, as, you know, as you're the VP of professional services, you talked about JIRA, you talked about, you know, waiting, it being a total of like maybe four weeks until um, results get to developers. One thing that you and the group that uh, you managed did was to, to start like jumping into the companies that you're doing assessments for, like their Slack or have them jump into yours or you might uh, do that plus go immediately into like you said jira or some bug tracking software and just uh, submit whatever you're finding as you're finding it and so i feel like you've got a good background with like what this talk says which is trimming the fat from your uh, from your testing methodology so i mean i get I give us a little, if you don't mind like a little bit of a, a preview if you know, of your keto AppSec uh, talk, which I love the, by the way, I, you know, you and I both do keto as a diet. So yeah, yeah. already a fan of uh, keto AppSec talk. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been in the, in the industry for a long time and I've seen ebbs and flows and, and, and the issues that, you know, we've had as a, a community. Um, and it, it what it really comes down to is speed and, and the ability to keep up. Uh, and we need to figure out better ways to do that because, you know, as I said at, at Loco Boco, like, stop complaining about speed and fucking keep up, right? Like, I mean, honestly, uh, that's that's something that I'm. That was one of my heart, favorite quotes, right? <laughs> like, like <laughs> I'm taking that to heart. Like, and 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 I need to come up with new ways to do that. I mean, you know, and and I came up with this talk. I'm like, all right, so how can we? you know, better manage what we already know. Uh, so I've I created this fats, right? Because keto is all about fat. Uh, and, and I've broken it down into to frameworks, automation, threats, and then speed and sophistication. And the talk is going to go into about how we can use what we know to our benefit and, and be okay and comfortable with maybe not looking for or, or, or um, you know, hiring others to look for things like, for instance, frameworks, certain frameworks are really good at protecting like react with XSS, right? Sure. There's ways to bypass it and, 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 and screw it up from a development perspective, but can we be comfortable enough with it that we don't have to spend a whole lot of time looking for it? Right. Uh, you know, and then there's other things like, you know, some of the CSERF stuff built into to some of the go frameworks and, um, what is it? Uh, Lavalier, one of the PHP frameworks that has uh, very good uh, password hashing and things like that. Like, know the things we know are decent enough that we don't have to worry about them, right? That frameworks provide us, um, and and you know, kind of check that off your list, right? And and be okay with that, right? Not everything is an O day; <laughs> it just isn't, um, you know. And then it really gets into automation. Um, it's imperative that you utilize automation to your benefit. And like I said, with contrast, on contrast, there are certain bone classes that we're comfortable with saying that we've knocked out. So when we have a third party maybe come in, we have them focus real 
deeply on other issues that we know our tools don't handle, you know, and we've got it pretty fully automated, you know, it's all in our build process. If issues come up, they get automatically populated into Jira, they get added to a sprint. Once they're fixed in Jira, it marks it as fixed in, in, in our contrast UI and life is good and people are happy and security most of the time doesn't even have to get involved, right? Like it's just, it's that seamless and I'm okay with that, right? I, I know what our tool does. I know what it's good at, what it's not good at. Um, and, and I think if people take a step back and realize that they have tools for a reason and if they can get them all into an automated process and be comfortable i mean tools are decent at certain things like xss right like i'd be comfortable with with not even looking at xss in, in our apps because i'm happy with with the tooling and the automation that we have there right sql injection too because um, i know what our tools are doing um and then threats right like some of the awesome stuff that like ken is doing you know, with with overlaying threat intelligence onto issues like CVEs and whatever else, um, we need to use that more, right? And stop being so full of FUD, right? Like I'm tired of being the FUD monger. Right? Like, like is XSS that bad? Like, when was the last time like a really bad XSS thing happened? I can answer that for you. It was Sammy, and it was MySpace. Like Sammy, uh, Sammy or TweetDeck. Those are the only two that I can think of. And even TweetDeck is like, eh. But yeah, right. But but uh, but you know, and I'm not saying it's not bad. But what I'm saying is, is maybe we can pull it back a little bit, right? Like reel it yeah. back in, and you know, and and look at from a threat perspective, what's actually happening, what's being exploited, right? Like oh. SQL injection here, that one's probably something you want to pay attention to, right? Like those seem to have that and like RCEs, right? Those couple of things to me, I, I don't consider FUD because those cause most of the uh, uh, headlines on, on some of the, the uh, you know, times and whatever else, right? Um, so that's kind of where I'm getting at threats. Like understand your threat landscape, use threat intelligence, uh, you know, use a Kenna or someone else to overlay that in your architectures. And that will help you, you know, realize how quickly you may need to address certain things. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right, right? From a prioritization and threat and risk perspective, we do a really poor job. I, I mean, and I think part of that is just stepping in as a consultant. It's like, hey, your primary job is this one small scope application. Yeah. And so what what am I going to do? I'd like anything that I find, I'm going to mark it as high risk as I can possibly like, what is the one risk that I can think of here, the impact that's going to make this a, you know, high risk vulnerability. So my report looks better. Right. right, right. And I, I know we're, we're all guilty of that when we're writing those reports is it's like, Hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? If you step back and you look at it from a realistic, like business perspective, I'm like, okay, this is one small application that's only for this one small portion of the business that's only doing X, Y, and Z. It's not exposed to all customers. Like all, all I've done is taken that high severity vulnerability and just classified it as low severity when it really comes to the business itself. Um, and it's, but but it's difficult to actually have that context unless you are one of those inside people, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I totally, totally get it. But, you know, and I'm coming at this from an inside track, right? Like yeah. as a consultant, it's always going to be insanely difficult to, uh, you know, even define 
what a vulnerability means to that organization. We can guess, right? Like we can guess on likelihood, we can guess on impact, but that org is going to have to make that final decision, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it has to be done in a smart way because if it's not, like we're never going to get ahead. <laughs> like, like what's more important, this product feature or this XSS that is reflected and it only really affects you if you're XYZ, right? Like yeah. what's more important? Um, and using more threat intelligence, I think will help us make those decisions rather than just rolling the dice. Um, Cause that's kind of how it feels like today. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I know a, a big part of that is that, yeah, like I know we, I always give Ken crap for working at the AppSec Wonderland over there where like they have risk prioritization figured out and they're, you know, they, they do a pretty good job of, hey, if it doesn't touch one of these core things that we're trying to do, we just don't care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think a lot of organizations struggle with that, right? Even some of the startups like locally that I've been talking to lately, that's been a big thing is they're like, okay, what do I concentrate on? Where do I start to actually make sure that we're secure? And, you know, like comes down to a lot of discussion and heartbreak, but that's a lot of discussion with business people that have no idea what security even does. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and knowing what exists, right. I like, I mean, I think you've probably got a pretty good idea of the different apps that you're running. Um, but a, a large organization, that's, that's a, that's a difficult proposition, right? You got thousands of developers well, it's, turning it's out almost, applications. It's, it's yeah. almost impossible, right? I mean, it, you know, you, you look at some of the really big ones and, and you're talking two, three, four, five thousand 5,000 apps that, that they don't know what to do at all. Right. Um, and that's why like, it's imperative that you follow some of these things and, and make decisions based on what's actually occurring. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, do I need to worry about this Vuln class? Is it a Vuln class that's being exploited across the world? And if it is, how is it being exploited? Is it a onesie twosie thing or is it something that's there's a focus on like that info exists? Right. We just don't use it. Um, and I, and I, like I said, I'm, I, I, I hate plugging people, but I, I think Ken is doing an awesome job. I love Jerry Gamble to death. Um, so, you know, check it out. Like they have some pretty awesome things going on. Um, and then the last thing is speed and and sophistication. We talked about speed, like just keep up. Like it's, it's imperative that we do because the more we pull back or lag behind the worse the relationship's going to be with developers and engineering in general, um, you know, and, and be okay to, to say that's fine. It doesn't need to be fixed now. Right. Be okay with that. But get to the point where you're doing all that other stuff well, and you can focus on the hard stuff, right? Like how do we approach securing these more crazy spread out microservices type of infrastructures? How do we secure our authentication, our authorization, stuff that tooling just isn't gonna help with, right? Um, and, and finding issues in your OAuth implementations and whatever else, right? Like focus on that really difficult stuff with the talent that you have versus throwing them at things that I think can be solved with frameworks, tooling, automation, threat intelligence, right? I may be way off base, but I've been doing this long enough to know that the other way isn't working. <laughs> it's not working well enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the whole manual way, right. There's like 
we always try, and I know both you and I, we always try to automate ourselves out of a job, right? That, that, that seems to be what happens over the, the course of my career. Be, I would rather be in Kauai on the beach because I automated my way out of a job than not, right? Like, I mean, Kenny, it was beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, uh, did you hear about Locomocosec, Seth? It was this beautiful, beautiful conference in this lovely location with all these smart I'm people. Out. <laughs> yeah i um I, I did post by the way a link to uh kenna security i'm going to post a link to the C so if you're in the prior if you're in the minnesota region it's prior lake minnesota for secure 360 it's uh next tuesday and wednesday and david linder's talks on wednesday so i'm posting the link to yeah, it's a good one. It's 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 like an overall IT security conference, so it's kind of got something for everyone. Um, you know, it's been around for twenty five plus years, something like that. Um, I've been going forever. Um, really, really good group of you know people in in the Twin Cities there from a security and a cybersec perspective. So cool. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where we're at. I mean we've been going for over an hour. Right, it always goes by so quickly. Um, but that was going to be my next question is, hey, where are you going to be at next, right? So obviously Secure360, are there any other places? I mean, people can find you on Twitter, obviously, at Golf Hacker Dave, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, or on the links, apparently, right? Yeah, I, uh, I hack a lot on the links, uh, for sure. Uh, so no plans beyond that. Uh, there's a chance I'll be out at Reinforce. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to trying to get to that one uh, out in Boston. Um, not speaking or anything, but I don't, I don't have any other speaking gigs lined up right now. I'm just waiting on some CFPs here and there, you know, okay. that's, uh, that's scheduled out, you know, with the, the job change recently and all that. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of takes a little bit to get back into it and to figure right. out what the, what the landscape looks like and what the, what the appetite is for somebody going off and speaking. So, right. um, cool. Well, um, Let's see. Any last minute thoughts or last minute recommendations before we wrap things up for today? Yeah, I mean, if anyone's interested in contrast, like we have a free product. It's called Community Edition. It is the full uh, Java-based edition, and you know the only restriction is you get one app. But check it out. I mean, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, and feel free to tell me you hate it or you love it or anything in between. Um, and and then yeah. jump on the bug bounty and find some bypasses, right? Make some extra. I, 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 there you I, go. I, I tell you what, like uh, I've I I found some stuff with it. Um, I have a blog ready to go. I just need the okay from the the places once they fix things. But it's it's crazy how easy it is to find stuff with it. You know, obviously nice. it's Java only. I hope at some point we release the the free version for for all our agents. But right now it's just it's just Java Java apps. So think of all your fun Java stuff, mm -hmm. Jenkins and WebLogic and like all the stuff you can download for free, right? <laughs> ah, yeah, that's a good. Hmm. Yeah, I might so. have to spend some time. <laughs> spend some time on this. I'm curious. All your all your spare time over there, right? Yeah, all my free time of none. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Secure 360. Um, any OWASP events? Uh, don't isn't there one coming up? Actually, is USA going to be in DC this year? It is. Yeah. Yep. yep. In September. Oh, cool. Right. So, and they might have a CFP. Oh, you know what? That's right. There were a few people that um, 
So there's a CFP open for AppSec Day Melbourne. There's going to be the CF, the, the CFT and CFP, I believe, are both open for AppSec USA, which is going to be in BC, which means I'm going to be there. Seth will probably be there. Yeah. So we can all meet up and this is, chat. Just remind me, is DC as nice as Hawaii? <laughs> oh, my. oh my God! Not even close. Not even close. Uh, I guess. I guess the only other thing I wanted to mention. So along the lines of RASP, uh, we're working on what we call REP, which is runtime exploit prevention, kind of along the same lines as, as DEP. Um, you know, that's that's a talk that we're shopping around a bit. So I'm hoping that that gets picked up by by some things because I think it's kind of the next step in in AppSec, if you will. So, um, and you know, obviously we're, we're kind of out of time, but. Um, you know, I did put a link to the to the uh, slide share. Yeah, on perfect. That. Uh, the, perfect. So that's in the YouTube live chat as well as the uh, the Slack. Uh, yeah, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, so, yep. Awesome, cool, cool. Hey, All thanks right. for spending so much time with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. First time's a charm. Hopefully I can catch up to Kevin Cody one of these days or. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll put you on the list before, you know, the next Stefan episode or whatever, right? You know? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You, you got, you got to have a good six months between Stefan episodes like just to, just to come up, come down. I feel like we've got a Stefan episode coming up in, we do. It's like not next week, but the week after, because next week is going to be James Wicket, um, who I think we all love and was at Locomocosec and Locomocosec for Seth. This was a conference that was, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so James Wiggins is going to be on next week and the week after I'm going to be busy away traveling. So um, Seth and Stefan will have another uh, episode of uh, Stefan uh, logical infosec. Infosec, yep. Yeah. I, I mean, basically, it's just like we need some time to Google all the stuff between those episodes to figure out what he actually said, and then we can go back after the fact. So, yeah. yeah. Works cool. out. But well, yeah, for, Dave. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, always a good time. Always good to catch up. Um, but uh Join us next week for James Wicket. That's going to be a great one to talk to him about all the DevOps stuff, right? It'll be fun. Cool. Well, don't jump off just yet, uh, David Linder. For everybody else, thank you so much. Appreciate you watching, listening, however you're doing it. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>